Welcome to the Synth and Electronic Music Show, brought to you by the Coastal Electronauts here in Whitstable. My name's Peter Coit, coming to you from the Sonic Shed, and I'm joined by my oscillating co-presenter, Pi Ball Pole. Hi, Peter, uh, for my uh, dis- disarranged slip cover. There we are, I lost it there. Well, tonight we're joined by special guest, producer, artist, Steve Hellier, founder of Death in Vegas with Richard Fearless. I'm currently working with Richard Thompson as Colourbox, who have just released their first album called 101. Welcome. Hi, Steve. Hello. Thanks Welcome for having me. Welcome to the show. <laughs> How are you doing there in Catford? Yeah, good, thanks. Sunny Catford. Locked away in my studio. Well, <laughs> lockdown is not much difference to uh, people in the studios, really, is it? No, it isn't. I mean, if, uh, yeah, I've been working um, sort of freelance for about the last eight years. So, yeah, no changes, really. <laughs> yeah. So you, you studied at Goldsmiths in the 80s, is that right? Yeah, so, so um, I, I studied fine art there. Uh, it was it was sort of partly a bit of an accident I ended up at Goldsmiths, but fortuitous, um, considering what else was going on at the time. It was, it was literally my local college. <clears throat> I think my mum was a secretary there as well, actually, at the time, so I used to borrow a fiver off of lunch. <laughs> um, she was handy for typing up the dissertation. Uh, <laughs> and, um, I mean, it only moved to New Cross in the second year, but I stumbled across uh, sort of basically what were, were all the kind of YBAs. So yeah. uh, Damien Hurst was a year above me. I was in a band with a, with a guy called Ian Davenport, which was a sort of faux country and western band. Yeah. Uh, a guy called Steve Adamson was a lead singer. He was in the original Free show. <laughs> it was that sort of thing. It was... Uh, yeah, it was a really, really strange. My dad went to Goldsmiths as well. Um, like he was like first person in his family to, you know, ever have anything to do with further education, um, mm. and ended up at art school because he was again like one of the first generation to go to a comprehensive, and um, he met a, you know, fantastic art teacher that sort of lit his fuse basically. Yeah, so it it was sort of it was inevitable really, I think, and and I spent a lot of time doing. Um, doing sound related stuff there actually I was I was always knocking on the on the door of the, the electronic music studio well it's so like that. sound in- installations and things like that uh, no well it was funny actually there was no one no one on the art department who sort of had a clue about that sort of stuff so they didn't mm. really want to touch it with a barge pole and then when you went to uh, any of the music department they were kind of equally not clued up about you know the kind of coming at that stuff from a fine art perspective so it was one of those things like what I should have done was pursued it a bit more because that's obviously a sign that you're doing something interesting if no one yeah, knows true, what yeah. you're on about yeah. right yeah. <laughs> no it was a different time there wasn't it, wasn't it? it was uh, mm. they weren't really connecting in that way no was, I went to art school around that time I was in uh, Nelp North East London Poly Jake Chapman was in my year oh yeah and yeah, he, came okay. to, he came to Goldsmiths afterwards didn't he yeah what? he did so his, his uh, partner at the time Sammy Taylor Woods yeah she was there him. as well she transferred in from Middlesex and I remember she transferred in in the second year and you've never seen someone sort of walk into a room and go, right, okay, I'm here now. <laughs> you know, like she knew there was something going on. Because yeah. so, these things only, they burn very brightly for, for quite a short space of time and um, by the time it came to my year to have its degree show, I think it had pretty much burnt out. I mean, there was only a couple of people in my year who went on to do have any sort of impact I think there was um, Gillian Waring yeah 
Um, it was partly political as well because the college was moved because it had moved. I think the head of fine art wanted to try and protect it, and he got his filofax out and he got behind, you know, um, Damien when he wanted to put that show on, and mm. there's all that sort of stuff. I mean, there's lots of little accidents happening all at the same time, and <clears throat> it was the last dying breath for uh, Michael Craig Martin as well. I don't think he taught at the college for much longer after that. Yeah, I remember me and Steve went there to do a jazz course. In the, when we were at Stewart School. Great. Jazz <laughs> course. Yeah, that was brilliant. Um, so while you were there, were you making music? Yeah, absolutely. I, that was the only reason I'd gone to art school, really, was just... Yeah. Well, there were two reasons. It was the only, only extended education I could do because I'd been so academically rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, and, and it was, like, obviously the place to go to, to be in a band. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. There was no kind of formal music education that wasn't something that was you know where you needed grade eight or something yeah exactly talked about steve davis moon again uh, he decided to go to art um, music college and i decided to go to art college i thought because i could because i painted as well this first track we got is is that from that time the 12 yeah so um so i, I made an immediate decision after having left art school not to have anything to do with fine art hmm. um and uh, set about um trying to make records so it coincided with that time where it was possible to um, put your own white label out. What did I do? I borrowed loads of money to buy a sampler. Mm. And I was sitting in this bedroom in Elephant and Castle and I thought, I don't know enough about dance music. <laughs> so I went, I walked into, I walked into uh, Red Records in Elephant Castle Shopping Centre and there was a lad behind the counter called Paul Miller. Big shout out to Paul. I said to him, do you want to make a record? And he looked at me like I was a complete and utter mentalist. Do you know what I mean? He was like... <laughs> and, there, and then that sort of... Uh, basically, he came round. Um, turned out he had, like, you know, dogs with brass on and he sold dope locally and all sorts of other nefarious things. And, mm-hmm. you know, he was in a white tracksuit. Yeah, basically, we, we, we sort of struck up this strange alliance and um, I would... Um, sort of sit down with him he'd bring a load of tunes and he'd get all excited about playing these tunes and then I'd sample some of them and then we'd add bits to them and stuff and the next thing you know we were making hardcore and it was perfect I mean it was 1991 it was just absolutely taking off that stuff so I got to learn a lot about the about the music industry from a kind of that point of view like I was running around um, boxes of 12 inches and doing that sort of thing and the story to this track is that it was it was on the B side of our first 12 together and if if I wanted to join the PRS we had to have three commercially released tracks right and <laughs> this was the third track oh. and I remember at the time Paul sort of looking at me really strangely like what's that you know <laughs> it's not it's not hardcore is it it's quite yeah. no it, well the reason why was because at the time I was listening to a lot of Detroit techno yeah so it's my little elephant and castle attempt to make Detroit techno. Let's have a listen then. So it's tw- you were known as just under your name, was it? Um, yeah. What was it? it? Was luxury? I think the name of the uh, nominally the name of the act. All oh, right. Okay. Well, this is Twirl by Luxury.
Detroitness of that. Yeah, it's a 606 which I sold a couple of years ago. Oh, shame. <laughs> the rest of it sampled? Uh, no, it was all synths. That was a 101. Uh, I had a, a DS8. Do you remember those called DS8? It was no. a funny little four operator uh, FM synth that mm. Korg attempted to try and make FM a bit more accessible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You didn't program it like, like you did with a DX7 or something. You yeah. actually had sliders. Oh, that's better, isn't it? The DX7 was almost impossible to get into. It's all coming back now, isn't it, with the new Korg? Yeah, yeah, oh, mate. yeah, exactly. Like they've done with the the, the op six. Yeah, they yeah. they put they put some. Yeah, I mean it's it's odd. It's a bit like um, I don't we've used uh, FM eight in Native Instruments. Yeah, but there's a kind of easy yeah. edit page with that where you have sort of got some knobs that have some musical terms <laughs> yeah. labelled like one of them, you know one of them's brightness. You go, yeah, there you go. It's brighter or it's darker. <laughs> yeah. You, <know>? yeah. <laughs> you don't want to know what's really happening. I remember with that track that I discovered um, sidechain gating. Oh, nice! I was very, very pleased with myself. <laughs> I still have to look that up every time I do it on on Logic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're going on to early influence. Um, the Get Carter theme by Roy. Oh, it's a, it's a version. Yeah. So it's a. Um, it was a little white vinyl seven-inch I bought in the noughties. But I've always loved this um, this tune. It was. I think Human League did a cover of it. Oh, really? If you if you remember that, they were they were forever sort of um, covering sort of contemporary culture. Yeah. Doing electronic versions of stuff, and um, well, I mean, what a great film as well, fantastic yeah. film. So, but this this version's got um, someone's added some drums, really quite um, quite tastefully actually, because the original is just tablas. I see. There's a there's a video online of him performing it to the to the sort of film, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, on the sound stage, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really good. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. It's, it's, I mean, it's using sort of harpsichord in that, isn't it? But it's, it's quite yeah, it's, that's what it's a piano harpsichord double up, and then he mm. goes around and starts doing this uh, whirly solo. Yeah, it sounds very... I mean, the processing in that is, is great. It's like some sort of a echo and stuff, isn't it? Let's have a listen to it. So Get Carter by Roy Budd meets MB. Thank you. 
Oh, that really blends in well, isn't it? It's like, yeah, it's really, made really for it, works, isn't it? Isn't it? I remember yeah. seeing the film uh, when it came out. Actually, it's funny, I was thinking how long ago that was. <laughs> yeah, it's lovely. I mean, that, that slowing down at the end is the train pulling mm. into, into Newcastle, mm. isn't it? So, mm. yeah, no, great, and that drummer, prop, props to that drummer, because he's... he's um, it's, it's like he's in the room with that band. Yeah, it's got the same quality mm. of the recording, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, Roy Budd, he's, he sort of was a sort of British uh, Lalo Schifrin in the way, wasn't he? Lalo Schifrin used the tabla in Bullet and his theme tunes, wouldn't he? Yeah. So iconic that that little theme. Yeah, I mean it's it's so it's such a super simple um, thing as well. I think it's just you know yeah yeah absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's so simple, even I could work it out on a piano. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to move on to a piece by uh, Death in Vegas, Claiming Marilyn. So when, when's this from? So once I'd finished with the hardcore in the early 90s, I did all sorts of other projects in that bedroom studio in Elephant and Castle, and um, one of the people that poked his head around the door was a bloke called Richard Maguire, and he was, um, I think he'd started going out with one of the girls that lived in the house. And um, he was uh, doing graphics at LCP, which was around the corner at the time. Sorry, I nearly went there. I got off of the oh, right, LCP, yeah, OK. Yeah, he was doing graphics at LCP. So, um, yeah, so he sort of poked his head around the, around the studio door and, and, you know, we started doing some demos together. I, I don't know, out of all the things that I'd ever sort of worked on, it was the thing that I had the least kind of inkling of understanding or knowing what was going to happen with any of it. You know, we did some stuff, he wombled off with a cassette, the next thing you know, we've got a record deal. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> it was a bit like, oh, okay. <laughs> and um, yeah, I lasted about, I lasted one album and a couple of tracks, because uh, by, by that point I'd got a job at, at, um, at the BBC. Yeah. Uh, I had a daughter and, you know, I just sort of, I, I couldn't really do rock and roll full time. But yeah. I tried and... Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, this was one of the later tracks. I think it's on a record that was uh, the soundtrack for The Acid House. I oh, so quite a lot of your pieces were used in films, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things that um, we seemed to just sort of have a, a real run of that stuff. Our stuff wasn't, um, wasn't really vocally on that first album, but it was quite atmospheric and, and it seemed to, it, you know, it seemed to get a lot of uh, use uh, for films and stuff, so which you know I'm eternally grateful for. I mean, I think we ended up recouping on our publishing in in like in a year or something, but yeah, and it was great. I mean, I I this this is funny this track because it has kind of you can still hear you can still hear some of um that first track you played in it. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You know the way that the the way that what you do with music is that you try to write the same thing again and again and again. It's just you you have varying um yeah, the same shapes. Yeah, the hands. same. Yeah, exactly. The <laughs> same things. The same references. Come, you come at them from different directions. So. All right. So this is a claiming Marilyn by Death in Vegas.
just found a picture online with the uh, was that the studio you used for that with the mini Moog and the Juno. Um, it, it was um, that was done in uh, the smaller programming room at um, Orinoco, which was at the top of the Old Kent Road. Right. Um, they, they would, it was. It was like. Um, it was how the other half lived, right? So the main room in or- Orinoco was a uh, Neve 88, you know, like big. Do you know what I mean? One of yes. the big sort of super consoles. It's where uh, uh, what story Morning Glory was mixed, right? And, and, oh. and the second Chemical Brothers album. And then there was this little room with uh, um, a load of synths crammed under the staircase of what was the mezzanine for the kind of office staff. Yeah, <laughs> and that was the that was that was where all the DJs went to do their remixes because it's all they could afford, and that's where we recorded a load of stuff. Oh, it sounds uh, great that, though. It's great sound, mm. isn't it? It's, it has got that sort of like still got that sort of detail. Fewer stabs and things in it as well. Mm. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was uh, it was a step up because you had an engineer, so a lovely guy called Tim Holmes, who when I left Death in Vegas, he became like Richard's partner. Right. Uh, in that, and he was he was a lovely engineer to work with. So I could just concentrate on, you know, on on the kind of programming and and um, mm. synths and stuff. So yeah. I remember that one. That's got a load of uh, Nord on it. Oh, oh right. Man. And it's not and it's not a real three hundred three. I think that the very first uh, virtual propeller heads reincarnation of the three hundred three had come out. Oh. Do you remember oh, yeah. that? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you how you got it to go to start and stop sort of thing because you'd have to program an empty pattern or something. Yeah, you would. I mean, I remember back in the day programming those things, and it wasn't for the faint-hearted. No. A lot, lot of paper and pencil, <laughs> sort of rubbing out. And <laughs> yeah. you just had to go with it in the end, didn't you? Yeah. So we've got another influence track next uh, by Zap, who I don't know anything about. You know, like a lot of a lot of blokes my age, I was really into sort of the whole kind of synth thing in the late seventies, early eighties, and then I don't know that sort of really sort of began to wane for me. And it was around about the same time that I started to listen to a lot more sort of black music coming, you know, sort of coming from America and um, things like D Train. Uh, it was basically because the uh, you know the soul boys I went to school with all seemed to be having a right good time. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I, I got into a lot of that. And this was one of those records. It was, um, I came on, on import in 1985. And I just remember hearing it and thinking it was the most sort of futuristic electronic party on a record I'd ever heard. <laughs> and uh, Roger Troutman is like an exponent of the talk box. Yeah. Um, if you've ever seen him, he's sort of... Um, He's just incredible with it, and it's just a record. What can I say? Incredible. <laughs> Let's have a listen then.
Everything going on in there, won't there? It's really good. Yeah, and you get a little history lesson into the bargain as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> the other thing to say about that is it knocks any auto-tune R&B in, into a cocked hat, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's mm. much better, mm. much more sort of musical and emotional sort of... Relaxed, isn't it? And sort of just natural. Mm. I've heard uh, Chromio do it using that. They're, they're, they're doing that sort of thing well at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, I mean that's yeah, the, I mean, that's the, the that will be what they're referencing. <laughs> yeah, because oh, I mean yeah. Roger Troutman was um, he was he was you know the king of the you know black R and B talk box stuff. Mm-hmm. So oh, he even did um, I think before he died actually uh, he'd worked with Squitty Politti. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, you can hear that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that one. We're we going back to a uh, Colorvox track from your uh, latest album, Zoo Fairlig. That means means random, doesn't it? Yeah, so it was um, it was originally the name of the band, but we um, we decided that um, that was just too much, so we <laughs> called a track on the album. <laughs> yeah, it means um, yeah, it means by accident, uh, and I think um, Richard and I had been listening to a lot of um, a lot of German seventies bands and. We quite like the fact that they're, they're, a lot of their compositional method was that sort of thing. Basically, it was there's an awful lot of you know improvised composition. Yeah, I think that's what's driving electronic music nowadays. Yeah, and then the krautrock era is a big sort of influence, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Even that uh, what's that uh, that Model D um, synth album we played the other week? It was made it's made from one of the first oh. synth, the first Moogs made and. Uh, he just yeah. he just improvised with it. It just sounds really contemporary. Yeah. So what was it was it from an improvisation? I mean, our, most of our kind of uh, writing method is is um, just throwing ideas into logic um, and uh, you know manipulating them. Because I mean, since since I uh, since I bought a sampler, it's like that's that's the way that I've always treated doors. Really, it's just like they're just a place to throw stuff and and to move it around yeah. until things happen yeah. so yeah. um and uh, well with with a lot of the album there was a lot of you know contributions from musicians this one's got it's got hugh wilkinson on it and he's the most incredible um percussionist teachers at royal college of music he's in the heritage orchestra and he's a really good vibes player mm. let's have a listen then to fair lick
uh, cross rhythms and everything then going on. Yeah, mm. so uh, mm. big uh, big shout out to a young drummer called Will Clesby who we played with live. Um, who uh, he melted Richard Nide's brain because he was like this kind of he's just such an incredible musician. Uh, he learned how to play with a click in about five seconds and then ran rings around us. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, at the drop of a hat, I'd play with him again. It was just incredible. I was going to ask how you would play that live. Yeah, so I mean, we, we, were, we were really um, excited to play with him and he was just so, um, like he's a jazz drummer. He's gone straight from college. Uh, he was at Trinity studying jazz drumming. Got a first, went straight into Ronnie Scott's and just like, you know, playing there every week. You know, it's a real shame because the COVID thing's just blown a hole in mm. in, in young musicians' uh, lives like that, really. Yeah, so we've got to spare a, yeah, spare a thought for them. Uh, but uh, yeah, lovely. I mean, I, I, I told him we were releasing the album and he was just like, oh, you know, guys, I'd love to come and play with you again. So we, we did a couple of gigs with him and half the time we were standing in the room with our jaws. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's just, it was like, it was incredible, incredible. So another influence next, Girly Girly by uh, Sophia George. Yeah, so you don't grow up in Lewisham uh, and not have something to do with sound systems or reggae or lovers rock, basically. <laughs> that sound is uh, such a familiar sort of, well, yeah, but from um, growing up in London, that it was a... Yeah. Yeah, it was the, I mean, f- I don't think things like uh, drum and bass would have happened anywhere else. It was... It was obvious cultural Lego that just needed to be bolted together. Yeah. You know, and having sort of taken part in the precursor to that with all the hardcore stuff, it was obvious that, um, looking back on it, that, that someone was going to try and put those things together. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, double the tempo, keep the bass the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and then all of the, I think the, I mean, the thing that can't be sort of understated is the influence that, that sort of sound system culture had on dance music. I mean, all, all the ideas around it are all just basically from, from that template. Yeah, the improvisation on the, on the mixing desk and everything and the, and exactly. the, effects, the effects units, you know. Yeah. It's all there. Right. This is a girly girl. Only 
So there's a, a lot of uh, studio-based stuff you hear, like the, the engineer's got the latest toy in the studio. I think you can hear Simmons drums in yeah, that and stuff, can't you? Because yeah. it's from the mid-80s. It's all got like... <laughs> <laughs> you know, sort of like great. Yeah. The other thing that I've got to say about that record, which I really love, is just the... You know, I think reggae gets... Um, a lot of dancehall gets a bad rap, but I think there's some, there are some, some good lyrics... You know, oh, doing yeah, the rounds, yeah. there's less sort of slackness, and I think that's that's got a you know that's got a good message that song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's brilliant. That's good. That's a good choice from that. I did meet meet a few blokes that were definitely too girly girly back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> one of my other favourite ones is a bar boy and it's underpants. Brilliant. There, yeah. There's that one about Clarks. Do you know that one? Uh, cartel, uh, rough cartel. I think they are. It's basically a kind of ode to Clark shoes. Because yeah. they were just sort of oh, yeah. so, yeah, so, so massive in Jamaica. Yeah. yeah. you got to sing what, about what you know about, don't you, really? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. yeah. So, going back to your Colourbox album with a piece called uh, Beware Next. I think that one of the things that uh, bonded Richard and I together was um, uh, we did have a shared love of the Cocteau Twins. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And, and I think that, um, again, like growing up, there was. I remember like listening to those records and thinking there's just literally nothing that sounds like this and there wasn't mm. no you know no, so sure. you know big shout to Richard as well like I've I've not worked with a guitarist who has quite the kind of um sort of palette of suspended chords that he knocks out on a regular <laughs> basis so uh you know it's and it's lovely so um okay thanks Richard <laughs> <laughs> this is
little bit of like Harold Puddy there as well. I yep. kept seeing, getting a vibe of a Harold Pud Pud there. Yeah, when it when in doubt, more reverb basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely that. Huh? Really like that. And you got your um, the sort of the cross rhythms as well. The polyrhythms going on that's, yeah there's a bit nice. of a um, little bit of polymetric stuff I mean I think the last two tracks you played were, were primarily in 5-4 yeah I was trying to get because um, I'd spent so much time sitting in front of a computer doing 4-4 four, four dance music I was trying to sort of jolt myself out of doing the drums in the same way that I was trying to kind of you know get things to do the job of the hi-hat and that weren't hi-hats and <laughs> all of that stuff so you know yeah. It's just trying to take a different, different approach to everything. It is a sort of default four-four thing that you, you fall into the trap of yeah. using yeah. using um, computers. Well, it's like we were saying the other day about because we were both sort of in the West Coast and we since and yeah. sitting down at a, a black and white keyboard and you think well, that's the worst way to start straight away, you know? Yeah, Im- immediately it's put you down a particular um, avenue. I mean, yeah. s- sequencing this album live. I had to go back to um, using an MPC because a lot of modern live sequences won't let you do uh, a lot of um, changes in time signature yeah, oh, yeah. Right. And, and odd bar lengths and stuff like that. It's really strange how everyone's been funneled into... Yeah, I've just got the zero control, which has got lots of weird... Well, you can do anything with it, but it's not designed for... 12 tone music yeah, it's not great to like yeah, <laughs> yeah modular stuff is, is so much isn't there yeah so talking of um, the uh, Cocteau Twins influence we have a track by them next Lorelei this was the album that sort of got me into them mm. of Treasure sort of half an album half an EP I suppose and um, I, I did then go out and buy their first album which is like really interesting I mean the other thing mm. that of course no one talks about but they were they were using a drum machine all the time as well. Yeah, so, that's right, yeah. You know, and I think back then there wasn't, you know, there just wasn't a stigma attached to that or the, um, you know, they, and, and a lot of their songs were in 6-8, hmm. uh, so it's very sort of anti-rock, I liked. Um, you know, I just loved the walls of sound, literally. Yeah. You I know. think my first one I got was Milk and Kisses. That was nice, nice album. But it wasn't an issue. The, the, what they were using wasn't an issue because the music was so good. Mm. Like, yeah, they, they weren't criticised for being a, having a drum machine. Machine product, wasn't it, really? No, and, and, you know, I mean, the thing is that electronic music's always had baggage for, mm. the, for the British press. I mean, I was mm. never... I've never been a reader of British music press. I couldn't stand it, you know. Mm. Um, it always seemed to be the last thing they ever talked about was the music. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and and bands like this were great because they were they just came along and they did what they did and they did it incredible, you know, incredibly. And I mean, all of that going on, and then you've got Liz Fraser's voice, which is just oh, the most yeah. incredible instrument. And I don't know anyone who, at the time, wasn't completely touched by it. Couldn't understand what was going on, but his emotion was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was just another instrument, like you say, really, wasn't yeah. it? So there's that um, strange uh, thing called. Gloss, glossolia, I think it is the mm. you know the talking in tongues thing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and that that was always so yeah. for someone who kind of you know I didn't I didn't sort of grow up looking at lyrics. I wasn't really no, that you know that wasn't what like interested me in music. Like you know, all oh, look at this bit of poetry. Yeah. You know? um, f- that she was perfect because it was like yeah. you know 
it was like you couldn't understand what the lyrics yeah. were. It wasn't about well, that. I heard them described as lyricless songs. Yeah. Which is what they were, really. It yeah. sounds. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I, I saw her um, play with the Cocteau Twins in, um, I think it was Drury Lane. Mm. And, um, you know, she was desperately shy. Yeah. Mm. Desperately shy. I mean, she, she, you know, was so much of, uh, I think so much of what they did, she just didn't. Yeah. She was quite quite troubled. I actually managed to sneak that into a, a Naughties club set once. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Chill out record at the end. The slow dance. The slow dance, yeah. <laughs> the slow dance, it. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here, cleanse your palate with this. <laughs> oh, this is um, Lorelei on Cocktail Twins.
to write back. It's really. <laughs> I want to dig all the albums out now again and start listening to them again. <laughs> no, can't go wrong. I'm trying to think with that synth sound doing the sort of uh, bell thing, whether it was a D50 or a FM synth or something. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think they were great synth users. No, there, no, there's a lot of it was all software, sort of synths. A lot of the clangy stuff was like ring modulators and stuff, you know? Oh, and, right, and, okay. and he, he, so, I mean, the, the thing was, a lot of stuff started off as guitar, but it was, um, you know, it was run through, it, yeah, more um, effects than you've ever seen. Yeah. And, and, yeah, just incredible. Thanks very much for listening tonight. That's the first part of Steve Hellier's interview. Join us, as usual, on the Coastal Electronauts Facebook page to carry on the conversation. Yeah, thanks for listening. Don't forget to carry on the conversation on our Facebook page. And until then, we'll see you next week. Bye. See you next time. Bye. Bye.